Welcome to the September 13th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 4, verses 43 through 54, and the sermon is entitled, The Faith of a Nobleman, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. We're going to continue a sermon series through the Gospel of John. I want you to take your Bible Turn with me to the Gospel of John chapter 4 is where we are today. In fact, we're going to conclude that chapter. We're taking another step through the biography of the life of Jesus Christ and the ministry of Jesus Christ through the eyes of his great disciple John. John, of course, was the most long-lived of all of his disciples. Most of the disciples uh, died young as martyrs. But John lived to an old age and to be an old man. If you remember in the last letters that he wrote, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he called the Christians to whom he wrote little children. That's because he was so old he had earned that right to call them children. But today we're going to go to John chapter 4. We're going to conclude the chapter. As we pick up on this account of Jesus' ministry, let me set the stage a little bit to make sure everybody's on the same page with me. Last week we finished a three-sermon study on the woman at the well and Jesus' ministry to her at that well. Beginning at chapter 4, Jesus and the disciples are traveling in ministry. They're moving from southern Judea up to Galilee. There's a reason for their move, and I'm going to tell you what that is in just a minute. But they're traveling. They're, they were called by God to travel that distance, about 80 miles from one location to the other. Uh, Most Jews did not go straight up from Judea into Galilee, but rather they took a westward course or an eastward course and then would converge back into Galilee because centrally going through was the, the land and the area of Samaria. And it was inhabited by the Samaritans, uh, a race of people who were half Jew and half Gentile. And Jews absolutely did not want to associate with Samaritans. Uh, There was a mutual hatred even among the two groups of people. So when a Jew would travel north to south or south to north, they would swing out and miss Samaria. They would not travel through just to avoid that group of people. But Jesus and his disciples walked straight through as the crow flies through Samaria, coming to the city of Samaria called Sychar, and there he had an appointment with a woman. She did not know of the appointment, but it was a divine appointment for Jesus to meet her at the well of Sychar. Uh, He would meet her, and he would bring her to the knowledge that he is the Son of God, he is the Savior. If you remember, if you've been with me through these sermons, you know that she was an outcast of the city. Uh, She was a pariah. She was not spoken to by many in the city. In fact, she was coming out in the heat of the day to avoid all the people who would come out to the well. But yet Jesus was on the lip of that well to meet her there. But he led her to, to be saved, to know him as Lord and Savior. And she went back into that city with a changed life. She went back into that city most of the time avoiding people. Now she goes in to see everybody, to witness to everybody, come see a man at the well who changed my life, who knew everything about me. Come see this man at the well. And, of course, you know the upshot is not only is this woman at the well saved, but through her witness and coming out to the well, meeting Jesus, there were many people of Samaria who were saved that day, many people who were Samaritans saved by the grace of of the living Lord Jesus Christ. It further shows us there is no person outside of the reach of Jesus' love. Amen? 
Jews may have hated them, but God loved the Samaritans, and they were saved by the ministry of Jesus Christ and through the witness of this woman. Now, two days later, Jesus stays there two days ministering, but he then, after two days, continues his trek northward, going into Galilee, and he comes back into a city that he'd been to before. The city is called Cana, Cana of Galilee. If you remember that city, he had been there before, and his first miracle was performed at that city, Cana of Galilee, in that he brought wine from water at a wedding feast, a very important ministry, a very important outreach to a family in that day. But as we see him coming back into Cana, up north in Galilee, that's where Scripture picks up today. Turn with me to, uh, to John chapter 4. And we're going to begin with verse 43. So hear these words from the Gospel of John and what happens now that he is back in the city of Cana. Now after two days, he departed thence and went into Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then when he was come into Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast. For they also went unto the feast. So Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made water, wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. The nobleman saith unto him, Sir, come down ere my child die. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Thy son liveth. Then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend. And they said unto him, Yesterday at the seventh hour the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. May God add his blessing to the reading of this portion of his precious word. So Jesus meets the woman at the well. Jesus meets many, many of the residents of Sychar. And then he, after he finishes his ministry there, he then continues to travel on northward into Galilee, going on to the city of Cana. So that means he completed an 80-mile journey from down south in Judea on up into Galilee. In the gospel, John tells us why Jesus made this trip. Why did he move from Judea into Galilee? There's a reason that he moved. There's a reason that he and his disciples traveled. Look with me to John chapter 4. Go to verse 44. And here's what Jesus says. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Now down south in Judea, Jesus was ministering in Jerusalem. He even performed great miracles in Jerusalem and people saw the miracles. People witnessed 
the power of God, and yet, though they saw the miracles, they refused to let the miracles point that this is the Son of God. So they saw the miracles, but they would not come to Jesus as Savior down in Judea. Interesting in that, this is Jerusalem. Jesus spent time in the temple. Bethlehem, the place where he was born, was only five and a half miles away from Jerusalem. So he's in his home country. He's in his home territory, the place where he was born. And people saw his miracles, and they marveled, and they applauded all that he did, but they would never accept him in that place at that time as Savior. They were looking at Jesus like he was some kind of magician who could do these miracles, but they never could see through the miracles to the power of God, that this is the Son of God, this is the Savior. So in other words, Jesus didn't find honor in his own home country. Does that make sense? That's why he said what he said in verse 44. He didn't find honor in Judea. He didn't find those who would accept him as Savior, even though they were beholding his miracles. So because of the unbelief that he found at that time in Judea, he said, I'm going to travel back to Galilee. I'm going to go back where people will hear me, and people will see the miracles and see me as the Son of God. He's going to where people will respect him and receive him when they see the power of God working through him. So he begins the trip 80 miles back to Galilee. Now, this is very, very important. Jesus is going back to where people are going to receive him as Savior. I want you to hear this today. Write this sentence down if you take notes. It is this. It's because of unbelief and the hardness of heart that Jesus made this trip. This is very important in the Bible. Jesus' greatest miracles are performed where people's deepest faith will be. Jesus' greatest miracles come where the deepest faith is. Amen? His greatest miracles are performed where he meets people of the deepest faith. That's so important. It's important for us today, church. That is a principle that is still alive and at work in the church of the living Lord Jesus Christ right now. God is going to use and bless and increase the territory where the people's faith is the deepest. God is going to create the greatest miracle through the people of God who believe in him the most, who trust him in the deepest way. We want to be that people. This church, we need to be that kind of people, people of deep faith through whom Jesus will work because we believe him in all that he's going to do through us. We trust him. We follow him. We believe him. We proclaim him as the Son of God and the Savior. Now listen, we're going to be protected and we're going to be as safe as we possibly can. We're going to take every precaution we possibly can. We're going to be wise. We're going to disinfect and all of those things. But we cannot live in fear of a virus. We cannot live in that fear. We will be wise. We will take every precaution that we can. But faith always outweighs fear. If fear gets the foothold, ministry stops right then, right there. So we're going to take every precaution, but fear is not going to rule us. Being scared is not going to keep us from doing the ministry that the Lord Jesus opens to you and to me. So when Jesus comes back to Galilee, he gets a great reception. He meets faithful people. He is seen as the Son of God coming into the town, and he walks back into Cana, 
and he meets a nobleman there. Now, a nobleman, we really don't know exactly what that means. Maybe he was a town official. Maybe he was simply a man of great means, and the town respected him highly. But remember, he is not from Cana. He is from a neighboring town 20 miles away called Capernaum, which, by the way, is really the centerpiece of where Jesus has his ministry. Uh, its point of focus is in Capernaum. But this nobleman is not from Cana. He's from Capernaum, 20 miles away. Scripture does not say if he's Jew or he's Gentile. There's no description about this man. All we know is that he is an important man from the city of Capernaum. This nobleman had heard about Jesus, had heard about his ministry, had heard about his miracles, and somehow he knew that Jesus was coming to Cana or he was already there. But this nobleman makes the 20-mile trip. He walks from Capernaum to Cana, To come to Jesus. He's walking in order to meet Jesus there. Why did he make such a trip? Because he had a son who laid in his home in Capernaum dying. His son was dying. His son had a fever, had some disease that was taking slowly, ebbing his life away. And this nobleman knew that Only Jesus could help this situation. All the doctors, it was out of their hands. They couldn't do any more. There was only one who could help the situation, and that's the man, Jesus, coming into the town of Cana. So he walks that distance on behalf of his son. Look at verse 47. When he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, it's important that you underline the word, if you've, got, if you've got the King James Version, the word is besought. Other versions say implore or beg Jesus. He besought Jesus to come. The Greek word for besought or implore is erota, and it means that he asked Jesus over and over and over again, Lord, come heal my son. And he was repetitive in that. When he besought him, it means that he approached him over and over again with the same request, Lord, please come to Capernaum. Please come and heal my son. He's, he's seeking Jesus over and over again, begging for his help. Parents here, we understand his heart, don't we? If we have a child that is very sick, we're at the footsteps of Jesus asking for his help, asking for his healing. That's what this father did. Look at verse 48 of chapter 4. Then then said Jesus unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. Now Jesus is not rebuking this man. Jesus is not rejecting him. But he's saying, you know, many people have seen me for miracles. Many people have seen me for healings, for the power of God, but they won't believe who I am. They can't see past the miracle. All they can see is the miracle, think I'm some kind of magician, but but my goal in my ministry is for you to see the power of God in a miracle and see past the miracle that I'm the Son of God, that I'm the Savior of God. See past the miracle to the power of God because I can't just heal the body. I can heal the heart. I can heal the soul. I can forgive sin. See past the miracle to who I really am. That's how he's directing this man, this nobleman. A miracle is not an act of magic. 
It's an act of the power of God. See the power of God in me, the Son. Do you understand that? And the nobleman continues to beg Jesus, please come home with me. Please walk the 20 miles with me. Come to my home in Capernaum and come heal my son. And Jesus simply says this to him. Go home. Your son lives. Thy son liveth. And when Jesus says that to him, here's the most important statement of the passage. Don't miss it. Go to verse 50. John chapter 4, verse 50. Jesus saith unto him, Go thy way, thy son liveth. And the man, underline this, the man believed the word that Jesus had spoken unto him, and he went his way. There's the centerpiece. The centerpiece of the whole account of Jesus' life is the word believed. He believed him. It means that he saw past the miracle to believe that this is the Savior, the Son of God, the only one who could do the healing. So the nobleman stops begging. After Jesus makes that statement, go your way, your son lives, the nobleman stops begging. He stops asking his request. The tension goes out of his face. His heart settles down. He's relieved. He believes that he asked, Jesus said it, thy son lives, and it just settled the, settled the account. Okay, my son's living because Jesus said that. And he started to go home. However, he didn't make it home in that same day. Somehow he either stayed in Cana or he broke the trip in two and he spent the night somewhere, but he didn't go completely home to Capernaum that day. His trip stretches over into the next day. So the next day, the man is on his trip, walking, going home to Capernaum, and two or three excited servants are coming from his house, and they meet him in the way with the exciting news saying, we just had to find you, we couldn't sit on the premises, and you not know this, but you've got to know, this is before a cell phone, so he didn't know for sure. So the servants are running out, you've got to know, your son is living. His fever broke, he turned the corner, he is well, he is fine, come home to see him. And they tell him he took this wonderful turn in the fever breaking and him getting well again. It all happened about the seventh hour yesterday. By the Jewish clock, that's about one o'clock in the afternoon. Look at verse 53. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in, wh in the which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed, and his whole house the father realized that the exact moment that Jesus said, your son's going to live, is the exact moment 20 miles away when the fever broke. And that young man sat up in better health, getting better and better and better. Have you ever had the experience, and I think most believers have, have you ever had the experience as a believer that you asked a prayer or you came to God with a request and you know the exact moment that he answered it. Do all of us have that realization that we can see that when we ask something of the Lord, we know exactly the moment he answered that prayer or answered that request or took care of that need. I have been seeing those kind of miracles on a regular basis for a lot of years. 
I am so thankful in saying that there have been so many times that I have visited the hospital or I've gone to somebody's home, that person is not well, and somebody meets me at the doorway and says, you know, we, we prayed today for you to come. And here you are at the doorway at the exact moment that I, we wanted you to come. Here you stand right here with us, and we asked for the Lord to send you here, and here you are. Okay, did I get a divine phone call from God saying, hey, Lord, what am I supposed to go today? He says, you be at the hospital at 2 o'clock. No, of course not. Rather, in the course of my regular day, my regular routine, I go by the hospital or I go by the house of someone who needs a visit, and all of a sudden I realize this is the exact moment I was supposed to be here. I believe that every single one of us lives on a divine timetable. That every one of us, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, follow him, and he takes us exactly where we need to be at exactly the right times in our life. And you and I have no knowledge of that. It's simply his divine timetable, and he puts us where we need to be. I truly, completely believe that we live on his timetable and not our own when we trust Jesus in faith. It's still a principle that we live by. Well, this nobleman believed Jesus as the Son of God, believed him as Savior, and he went home, and Scripture says he led his whole family to Jesus as Savior when he went home. Now, remember this. Jesus never came to his house in Capernaum. He spoke the word in Cana, 20 miles over the country. His son gets well, just like that. Jesus never went to his home physically, but Jesus did go to his home living in the nobleman's heart. Jesus went to that home, and Jesus saved that whole family by the witness of a nobleman, a father, a husband, who goes into the house saying, I have met the Savior. I want to lead you to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And he led his whole house to Jesus as Savior. That's still a principle that we live by today, church. We have to remember that our faith in Christ goes out into the world. We don't just close the doors here and you're out in the world doing nothing, but rather we're going into the world to take the gospel and the witness and the representation of Jesus Christ out of, out of here into the world, that he will be seen by us. Just as the nobleman took Jesus to his house, you and I, 2,000 years, take Jesus where we go and represent him there. That's the principle we live by. It's the gospel of Christ living in us that the world needs to know. Our faith in Christ goes into the world. The moment we leave here, we are going into the world with that gospel. We are vessels to carry Jesus to the world. We take him where he needs to be this week. The nobleman's son physically lived, but it is interesting that the nobleman's family eternally lived. Yes, the son was healed, but by the presence of Jesus Christ, the whole family was healed of sin and given eternal life. It's an amazing word of God. Now, there's a word in this passage that I want to quickly explain just to make sure that everybody understands that. Look at the very last verse that we studied today, the last verse of chapter 4, verse 54. And it says, this is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. This was not the second miracle of his ministry. Uh, back in John chapter 2, it tells us in Jerusalem that Jesus brought forth many miracles in Jerusalem. But rather, what John is saying is this is the second miracle that he brought in Cana of Galilee. 
First miracle, water to wine. Second miracle, the healing of the nobleman's son. Well, as I get close now to the close of the sermon today, let's take a look at those two miracles of Jesus. First one, when he changes water into the finest wine of the entire wedding feast, uh, I just love the, the, dy- the dynamic that happens when Jesus is approached by his mother, and she's a- reporting to him a fact. Jesus wants you to know the wedding is just out of wine. Now, she gives it to him as a fact, but I believe that Mama, fully knowing who he is, is saying, can't you help them? Can't you do something for them? And, of course, you know that he orders water pots to be filled, and instantly that water becomes the finest wine of the entire wedding feast. And it's right there at his hand. It doesn't say that he got up, that he moved. He simply gave the, the word to those servants that are to fill the water pots. The water absolutely becomes wine as Jesus has it right there at his hand. The second miracle was a miracle that came forth 20 miles away. Jesus spoke the word, and 20 miles away, the miracle took place. John's gospel teaches us here that the Lord is concerned for every need, wherever that need might be, and that His power is available to reach any need, anywhere, at any time, because He has the authority over time and space. And He can meet any need, wherever it might be, in your life, in my life. He will minister to the need of your child sitting right by your side, your grandchild right by your side. He will also minister to your need if you lift up a missionary's name halfway around the world that you see on a prayer card somewhere and you lift up someone you do not know, but God blesses that person through your prayer halfway around the world because he has the authority and the ability and the power to do so. He can answer any prayer at any time in any way that he chooses fit. Jesus always answers prayer. Amen. Now, answers might not always be according to our will or how we think they ought to be answered, but we're very imperfect. Uh, Our knowledge is not perfect, but we know the Lord's answer will always be right, it will always be perfect, and it will always be timely. It will always be right for the long term. But here's what I believe. Church, prayer is the most powerful tool we have at our disposal. Prayer is the most powerful tool we have in the kingdom of God. A direct connection with Almighty God. It has been said prayer can do what God can do. It is a mighty tool. And yet, the Lord teaches us in order for us to see His miracles and to see His work and to see His power, He simply says, you need to ask. Just jump ahead. You don't have to turn with me, but just write this reference down in John 16, 23. We'll come to it again. But Jesus says, Whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it you. A primary word is ask. One of the problems with prayer, and this is one of my problems. I'm not pointing a finger at anybody. Sometimes we don't use it enough. Sometimes we're not on our knees enough. Sometimes we're not in our prayer closet enough. I think that's true for us individually. I pray that as a church collectively, we'll be prayers. We will come to the Lord in prayer. We will give every need at the feet of His grace, knowing that He will take care of us. Listen, my friends, we know that this is an 
absolutely awesome prayer of God in John 16. Whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, I will give it you. What greater promise could ever be made? You ask, I will answer. That's 100% true by the truth of the Bible. We ask, it will be answered 100% of the time. The Bible assures us we can utterly trust the Lord in prayer. He is absolutely and He is always listening. And every prayer is answered according to the will and the plan of God Almighty. So here's my charge to us, church. From behind the pulpit to right here in the sanctuary, right there streaming out in the parking lot. Here's my charge to the church. We need to pray every day. I don't mean just the prayers of thank you, God, for the trees and the grass. I mean prayers that lay our heart at his feet where our needs are. Pray for those things in our lives that we know we need the power of God to affect and to change and to heal and to give direction. We pray every day. We're to pray for the sick. We're to pray for the lost. Friend, I'm going to tell you this right now. Most of us, myself included, most of us have someone in our life who needs Jesus as Lord and Savior. And I want us to take a lesson from the nobleman, and I want you to ask every day over and over and over again for the salvation of that loved one. The nobleman asked Jesus over and over, heal my son. The Lord loves us to ask, and the Lord promises that he will answer. Never give up on prayer. Ask. Sometimes we have to ask over and over, as the nobleman did. Pray for God to keep your children and your grandchildren safe. Pray for God. This is a prayer that I'm praying every day, dear God. For my little three-year-old and almost two-year-old grandsons, I pray, God, that you will protect their minds from the lies of this world. I pray that you protect their lives. I pray that you will surround them and engulf them in your love and your grace and in your protection, that you allow them to hear the truth of Jesus Christ as little boys growing up, and that you will protect their minds from the lies that are happening in our world, especially as they start school. No matter where they start school, protect them, Lord. Lead them always in your truth. Help me, Lord, to instill in them your truth. We need to pray that for our children. If you've ever needed to pray that for your children and for your family, it is today. Our country is under tremendous siege of lies. Pray, pray, ask over and over for protection. Pray for the United States to come back to God. All of us know that there are ways that our country has walked away. Taking God's word off the courthouse taking God's prayer out of the schoolroom, removing him from most every institution of America. Pray for the restoration of worship of God in our country. You know, our country is headed in a wrong direction, but there's still a blessing coming for our country. You know why? Because there's a remnant of people willing to pray. We need to be those people praying for the salvation of our country, the salvation of our leaders and especially now, as leadership is going to take a move come November, pray. Pray for God to work and God to act through His people in this country. Christians, pray. Lay your heart before God. Ask over and over until we see the answer come.
just like the nobleman did. Pray in Jesus' name. Do not ever pray outside of Jesus' name. He tells us, ask the Father through me, and I will answer. Pray in Jesus' name always. So today, church, I'm simply calling us to a recommitment of daily, heartfelt prayer. Will you ask the needs that you have on behalf of others for our country? Will you ask God's blessing? Will you ask God's healing? Will you ask over and over? As we seek him, he promises to answer. My prayer is that we will recommit our lives to prayer. And I have to do that myself. I'd love to tell you I'm the perfect prayer, but the days get busy and sometimes they get away. Let's commit our lives to not leaving out one of the most essential parts of our day, prayer. And today, if you are here and you've never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, let me tell you this. You don't have to walk 20 miles to get to him. He's waiting for you. He's right beside you. He's ministering to you. The old word, he's wooing, pulling, drawing your heart right now. Whether you're out there streaming somewhere, whether you're out in the parking lot or right here in this sanctuary, he's calling you. If you've never come to him, he's calling you to know him as Lord and Savior. Just say yes to him. Give him your heart. Give him your life. He's waiting for you to open your life to him, your heart to him. Just say yes to him. Lord, I need you as my Savior. I am a sinner, but I believe by the old rugged cross and the empty tomb, you gave your life that I might live. I want you, I need you, and today, this moment, I accept you. Make that public. If you're streaming, somehow make that public. If you're here, come forward. Tell the world you need Jesus and accept Jesus as your Savior. Church, will we recommit to prayer? Will we give our lives and our hearts to the Lord again, anew? Talk to him and ask him for that which we need. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for these moments. Father, thank you for the example of the nobleman. We don't know much about him, but we know this. He asked Jesus over and over about the healing of his son. And ultimately, he was saved and took Jesus to his own family. Help us who are believers, Lord, to believe in prayer and to exercise it every day. And help us, Lord, as we walk out into this world to take Jesus with us as representatives, as witnesses, as your people, showing the gospel to those who need you. Bless us, we pray. Bless that one who needs you as Savior right now, this moment. They don't have to walk 20 miles. Just a little walk down the aisle or kneeling right there where they are at home. Bless them as they say yes to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.